0: It's likely that you've seen this before. Maybe not personally, but, but it's likely that in a TV show, in a movie somewhere, you have seen a courtroom. And all courtrooms and TV and, and the movies are the same, right? Rich wood paneled walls. The judge sitting high up on his or her bench. There's a jury off to his side, seated ready to hear the case on one side or the other of the, of the judge. There is a witness stand where people will be called to sit and to give testimony concerning the case at hand. There's a gallery always in really, really apparently nice, comfortable chairs. They sit, they sit there and maybe they're, they're witnesses. Maybe there are people who, who are, are, are there because of the accused. Maybe there's people who have, uh, uh, they, they have interest in the case that is at hand. There are two, usually two tables. On one side is the defense. The accused, they sit there, they, they, they stand to, to give their plea. And then they sit throughout the trial as, as witness after witness as the cases are given. The defense attorney is there to, to provide questioning, to, 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 to provide a, a defense for the accused. On the other side is a prosecutor. Maybe there's mounds of evidence. They've got their own case. They've got their own uh, arguments. There's opening uh, statements. Opening statements are made by either the, the guilt or the innocence of the accused. Of, of how they did this or did that or didn't do this, and how it could be some, it could have easily been someone else we 've seen this play out. Evidence is brought, alibis are offered alternatives are presented. Both sides give closing arguments, they rest their cases, and the jury deliberates deliberate del- deliberates over the guilt or the innocence of the accused. and this kind of provides A bit of a backdrop for our text today. In the scenario, we are the accused. Satan is the prosecutor and he brings a case. He makes his case that shows that we should be punished to the fullest extent of the law. See, Satan is always ready to throw the book at us. There are no deals, no shortened or commuted sentences. No, give us a little bit of information and we'll let you off easy. We are always guilty. There is no way out. Our only hope is in the strength of our defense. And we can either choose to defend ourselves. And if you've ever watched a courtroom drama, it never goes well for the person that defends themselves, right? I mean, if you defend yourself, you know that person, they're going away. It's not, it's just not going to go well for them. So we can choose to defend ourselves. And put our trust in Jesus and let him make our case for us. I always wondered, as a lawyer, how do you give an honest defense when you think the person you're defending is guilty? As as they bring the cases, you say, if you're like, man, it's got to be my person. How do you give them an honest day in court? When everything is pointed at them and everything is is piled up against them, how do you give them an honest day in court? And maybe those are situations that they find a way to take a deal. What if no deal is being offered? What if it's all or nothing? Guilty or not guilty? And this is where we find ourselves today. We are standing before the judge. And today it's our attorney's opportunity to state our case. So if you would turn with me to Romans chapter four, we're going to start with verse 25. We're going to go into Romans chapter five today. And Paul is is writing this letter to his friends in Rome. He had never been to Rome. He was looking forward to going to Rome. He was hoping to get to Rome one day, uh, but he knew there were believers there. And he wanted to write and, and encourage them. And if you re- ever have a chance to read the book of Romans, it is a very logical book. Paul begins and he just begin, it almost reads like a legal brief. He starts at the beginning and, he, and he, he, he lays out his hope for us all. And as he goes through, he then starts off with all the bad news. This is all the bad stuff. And then he builds on that and he, and he then offers an alibi who offers uh, a a hope. He offers a a chance. He offers um, opportunity for us. As you read through the book of Romans, there are four, four therefores. In Romans chapter three, there is a therefore of condemnation that we have sinned. Therefore we stand condemned before God. In Romans chapter eight, there is a therefore that says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 12, there's a therefore of dedication. Now that we have now that we walk in faith we live our life dedicated to following Jesus. And in between Romans 3 and Romans 8 there's another therefore. And we'll find it here in Romans chapter 5. It's a therefore of justification. What happens between our condemnation and no condemnation is that we now can stand justified before Jesus, before our heavenly Father. If we can't affect the verdict on our own, then someone must be able to affect it for us. And this is how Romans chapter four, beginning with verse 25 says this, he was delivered over to death for our sins and he was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in this hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly Having been reconciled shall be saved through his life. Not only this, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Today, today is no ordinary day. And this is no ordinary text. Like I said, Paul's been steadily building on this line of thought. He's been steadily uh, uh, kind of building his story, his, his case against us, but then also providing hope for us. If you read Romans chapter one, it reads as an opening statement. And Paul reveals that while sin is increasingly present in our life, he has found hope. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Being, it, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Because the power of salvation is more powerful than any sin that we commit, any wrong that you've done. We stand today, if we stand today without Christ, we stand guilty as charged. And Paul will go on. He begins to, to lay that out. He says, you want know all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. There in fact, there is no one who's righteous. Not even one of us that, there, that none of us have the ability on our own to do right before God forever. See, there are two ways to God. One is to never, ever, 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 ever sin. Anyone, anyone been successful with that? Okay, so, so if you do that, congratulations, you can get to heaven on your own. But since none of us have done that, we have this other way, right? You can get there on your own if you never fail, never sin, never do the wrong thing. But since people cut us off in traffic and we say and do the wrong thing, yeah, right? So bro, we need this other way. We need this other way because none of us is righteous on our own. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so Paul writes, what does he say? He says, Jesus was delivered over to death for our sin. He died for our sin and was raised to life for our justification. We are guilty. We've been caught red handed. Our hand was in, both hands were in the cookie jar, right? The evidence is not only stacked against us, they, they have our fingerprints, they have our video evidence, they have our retina scans, they, they got everything on us. We are guilty. Dead to rights. We are without hope. Paul says the facts are so much against us that our only opportunity for salvation is that God did something for us. God did something for us. He delivered Jesus over to death for our sins and he was raised to life for our justification. Can the gospel be stated any more simply than this? I don't think so. The death of Jesus was our death. Our sin demanded death. God's holiness demanded death. God's justice demanded death for sin. No matter whose death it is, blood had to be shed for the sin that was committed. So we can do two things. We can choose to defend ourselves and lose the case and leave eternally separated from God. We can choose our own spiritual death. Or we can let Jesus plead our case and let him stand in our place. Let him die our death. And then we can stand justified before God. It seems that Paul separates the two, right? He seems like he separates Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. He he separates those two as part of the gospel story. But really by doing so, he, he, he states that both are equally important to our justification. That Jesus now had to die, but he also had to be raised from the dead. He does this to show the importance of, of, of both in the, for the effects of the gospel to be applied to our life. If there's no resurrection, there can be no resurrection without there first being a death, without there first being a crucifixion. And we can't live a new life in Jesus unless we first die to the old. Just as Jesus had to die for our sins, we have to put our old life to death as well. And we have to choose to walk in a new way. We have to choose to make new choices. We have to choose to live life based on a new set of bearings. See, we can't have the new life unless we first put our old life to death. Jesus died for our sins and secured our justification by being raised from the dead. No other religious system, no other belief system in the entire world is centered around a single individual who predicted both his death and his resurrection and then did it. Only Christianity, only Jesus is centered around the death and resurrection of a single individual. That he willingly laid down his life for us. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Paul continues and says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's hold on right there for a second. Just because Jesus died on the cross for our sins, doesn't mean that his death is applied to all people for all time. It's not like the ultimate get out of jail free card, right? So it's not because he died. We can do whatever we want. Our justice, his act is applied to our life through faith. Now for for years, and maybe we've had, you've had the same thought uh, faith has been this thing that I mentally agree with that. And so therefore I believe it's reality. And that is half true. The fact that we mentally agree, we, we have to first mentally agree with, you. we have to first believe that it is true, right? We hear something, you know, uh, two plus two equals four. We're like, mm, are we sure about that? And then maybe we count it up. Maybe we, you know, we write a mathematical proof. We do study it. We, we put it into the calculator and we're like, well, okay, and we see, okay, I believe two plus two equals four. We, we see it. We understand it. We can do it. We act on it. And that's the, other part of the, that's the other side of the coin of faith. It's not just mentally believing it's true. We, we have to first mentally believe it's true. But faith might be better understood as allegiance, as fidelity, as, as something that we, 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 can, we, we don't just mentally agree to, but we also act out on it. That if our faith is not active, it's, if it's just mental, then do we truly believe? Do we truly have faith? If we truly have faith, not only will we believe it to be true, but it will come out in our hands. It will come out in our mouths. It will be shown through our heart and our actions. Now, does it mean we work for our salvation. No. But if we truly have faith and are justified, it will come out in our life. Our, 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 we do not work. For our salvation, but, our, but true salvation works. There's actions that accompany our faith, our belief. We are justified not because of something we've done, but because something He did for us. Because we choose to have His work, we choose to agree and have His work applied to our life. Jesus didn't come to, to, to simply help have us mentally agree with Him but he calls for us to exchange loyalties. Maybe, you know, you, 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 maybe you, you've played sports. Maybe you, you have a, a, a certain uh, team that you root for. And have you ever had a, a player that you root for on your favorite team change and go to your, 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 your rival's team? You know, like Johnny Damon going from the Red Sox to the Yankees. You know, like, Wilson Contreras going for the Cubs to the Cardinals. Yeah, you, you, all of a sudden you're like, you're my, you're my man. You're my dude. And now all of a sudden you're playing for the other team. They changed their allegiance. They repented and went another way. That's how it is in life, right? We go about doing our own thing. Paul says, when we go doing our own thing, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us is righteous, none on our own. We deserve wrath and the condemnation of God. But through faith, we change allegiances. We repent. We take out, we, we die to our old way of life. We no longer play for this team and we choose to play for this other team. We choose to now play for Jesus. He is our King. He is our Savior. Therefore, through faith, we have been justified and we now have peace with God. When we were on this other team, we were enemies, right? You know, we, 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 we wanted to win, not him. But now we've changed allegiances, and now we are at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith, by our allegiance into this grace we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. See, we can boast and we can, we can celebrate an empty tomb because we, are now, we now can stand on the side of Jesus. Before, the empty tomb just sealed our verdict that we are guilty. But now, through faith, we believe and we choose to side with Jesus. And we now have hope in him. See, we cannot be innocent on our own. Even through this, all we have, our our guilty position is transitioned to not guilty. And not guilty is different than innocent. Because we have sinned. We did those things that were wrong. We just now stand not guilty because our punishment has been transferred to another. And we now have access to God through Jesus. So while we no longer have to accept the final punishment for our sins, there does seem to be this season, this time of, uh, of deliverance, right? There there seems to be this time of uh, rehabilitation and that we go through suffering. Some of that is to identify with Jesus. I mean, just read through what happened to him in that last night. Yeah, the, the beatings that he endured left most men dead there. He died. He, he now he did suffer hardship uh, on that last night. He, he was uh, uh, rejected by men throughout his life. And so if Jesus was rejected, we too will face rejection. And so in this area of suffering, it does not work against us. It actually works for us. Just like you might uh, heat up uh, a metal to, to, to uh, uh, heat up and, and remove the dross, to remove the impurities so they can be even more refined, even more perfect. Those things have to happen in our life as well. And sometimes we think when we face suffering, it means God's rejected us, that God's pushed us away. But if you keep reading in Romans, Paul writes that not even suffering can separate us from the love of God. It actually makes us more like Jesus. Suffering produces in us Christ like character. And so we may not have to pay the ultimate price for our sins. There may be some immediate consequences that we have to face consequences for choices we've made, sins we've committed. Uh, just because we now walk with Jesus doesn't mean everything is expunged from our legal record. Or we may not have to face the ultimate consequence there are some immediate consequences we may face and ultimately we will have to face death, physical death in this world. The suffering, this hardship ultimately produces in us uh, hope, right? We we, we go through uh, suffering it produces within us character, perseverance and perseverance develops in us character and character is hope. And it leads us to hope. And this hope does not put us to shame because God has proven faithful. He's poured himself into our hearts the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. He works in our life through the difficult times by putting his Holy Spirit in us to make us more like Jesus. Paul said that Jesus died at just the right time. That actual phrase in Greek kind of has the meaning of in the nick of time. In the nick of time, has anything ever happened to you like just at the right time? Like you, you were wondering, is this ever going to come through? And it comes through right before you, right before the clock went zero, right before uh, things were, were going to go really bad. All of a sudden in that moment, your deliverance occurred. Paul says like at just the right time and just in the nick of time, Jesus came into the scene and he was there and he, he lived and he died for us. He died for us at just the right time. And we may not know exactly all that because God has a different perspective. There's this concept of time that plays its way through Jesus' ministry. My time has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. And you see different times when you think they've they've got Jesus backed into the corner and that his end is sure. And then all of a sudden he just escapes. He just walks right through the crowd. He just leaves and they're unable to grab him. Why? Because Jesus had to die on a certain day. Jesus had to die at Passover. The picture of the Passover lamb that was presented in Exodus was to point to Jesus being our ultimate deliverer. He had to die on a certain day and he had to die in a certain way. When you read through the Old Testament, the pictures that that, that are revealed about Jesus and his sacrifice and his death for us become this uh, uh, perfect picture of crucifixion. Many, many years before crucifixion was even invented, crucifixion is pictured in the Old Testament that Jesus had died on a certain day in a certain way on our behalf. So in just the right time, according to God's scope of history, all these came together. And at the same time, we were powerless. We were powerless to do anything on our own. We were unable to overcome sin on our own. And so at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for us. Paul's like, in real life, it's not common that someone's going to die for a righteous person. You know, so someone who is in, in that culture, someone who is religious, someone who is, who, who lived their life uh, uh, morally, according to some, to some sort of uh, spiritual law. It was uncommon that people would die for someone like that. So, but for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. There was in the uh, Greco-Roman world, this, this idea that it was heroic to die, a heroic deed to die for someone who was thought of as good in culture, to die for someone who uh, was a positive influence on that world, that you you would take the bullet for them, that you would die in their place, that you would sacrifice yourself for them. That was thought of highly. But someone just because they had some sort of spiritual bearing, some sort of, uh, 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 inclination towards religious things. Uh, that was not necessarily thought of. Not, someone's not going to die just because you're, you're, you're a believer, a follower of Jesus, a follower of this thought or that thought. But if, if you're thought of as a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But Paul puts up both those compared to us. Remember, we were sinful, so not good, not righteous. We were enemies. We were not friends. We were not thought of as good uh, in that side of the camp. And so we, it, we there, there's no reason, no earthly reason why Jesus would die for us. And then those two words, all this is stacked up against us. And then two simple words, but God. Yeah, we're not going to die for People aren't going to die for a righteous person. They, know they might possibly die for a good person, but God demonstrates His lone love for us in this: that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us at just the right time. While we were still sinners, while we could do nothing for God, Jesus died for us. God, Paul reveals God as the Father in the prodigal son story, who's looking for his lost child. And when they begin to come back, He chases after them does not allow the son to speak. He changes his robe, changes his shoes, puts the ring on his finger. Jesus does not wait for us to come home and get our life right. He meets us where we are, while we are still sinners, while we're still far from him. He showed us his great love for us. And that is why today is a day of celebration. Today is more than just a day of mourning. Today is more about an empty tomb than a bloody cross. And Paul begins to make two arguments, two arguments from greater, uh, from greater to less, which means the greater, if the bigger one is true, then certainly the lower one is true, right? You know, you know, if, if mom and dad are willing to, to, to provide house and food and clothing, then they probably love you also in this little thing about you know, your relationship with your friends, right? The grander thing is true. The little thing is probably also true as well. And so Paul says, since we've been justified by his blood. So we were guilty, but now we stand not guilty because of the sacrifice of Jesus. But how much more are we saved from his wrath? How much more are we saved from his wrath? I mean, God does not believe in double jeopardy. Punishment is only doled out once. And so we either choose to take the punishment ourselves or we place our allegiance in Jesus. And he takes our wrath for us. See, the greater thing is that our guilt is removed. We now stand not guilty before God. And now that the guilt is removed, there's no reason for God's wrath to come down on us. Because his wrath already came down on Jesus. He says, well, we were enemies. We were his enemies. We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more shall we be saved through his life? The greater thing is, He made peace for us. There was this huge gulf between between us and God that could only be spanned through the love of a father who would meet us where we are. Now that we've been reconciled to him, man, giving us new life is the easy part. Creating, bringing about our peace with him, that was the difficult work. If God's willing to do that while we're still his enemies, how much more is he willing to give us New life through Jesus for those who repent, for those who believe. Paul would write to his friends in Corinth. says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless and so is your faith. So if Jesus is still in the tomb, all that we've done today matters nothing. We have no hope. Our preaching is useless. Our words have no power. Our songs mean nothing. But, If he has been raised and he is raised and that changes everything. See, if Christ has not been raised, our faith, our allegiance is futile and we're still stuck in our sins, but the tomb is empty. And because the tomb is empty, our faith has power. Our faith has meaning and we are no longer in our sins because he's died for our sins and he was raised for our justification. No longer do we stand condemned before God. We stand before him just as if we'd never sinned. And there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that is what makes Easter. That is what makes resurrection Sunday the biggest difference in the world. So it sets us apart from every other religion, every other belief system in the world is that we serve a God who lives. God who'd laid down his life for us. And so let's consider this personally. Where does our allegiance lie this morning? Have you made Jesus your savior? Have you chosen to live at one with him? If you haven't, then you are still under his wrath, still living apart from God. And the promises of this text are not yours to possess. But, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, committed your life to him through baptism, then we now have, you now have access to his grace and the removal of wrath and the promise of new life in Christ is yours. Maybe you've made that decision. Maybe you're living in those promises. So what if we consider this text for the life, lives of those who live around us? Do we know those who live outside of, of a relationship with God. They would still be classified as enemies of God and under his wrath. And while our lives might be described as at peace with God in their life, they do not know such peace. See, there's a spiritual war going on, spiritual war going on for the souls of men. And I know there are some peculiarities to that statement. As I was typing that up, and I was writing, that, I'm going, to, I kind of got a little cringy because thinking about a spiritual war going on, it kind of brings to mind the TV preacher who's there sweating through his suit coat, preaching and proclaiming doom and gloom and using bizarre statements from the book of revelation. The truth of the matter is there is a war going on and it has been going on since Genesis three, all the way up till today. Satan, works to get us to rebel against God, to fight against God as God fights to reclaim those whom he loves. And see, our world tries to sell freedom as individuality. You do you, you become your own person, but on our own, we are not good. On our own, we sin. On our own, we rebel against God, and we are under His wrath. On our own, we have no hope. But God offers us a different type of freedom—a freedom of the world that leaves a freedom from the world that leaves us. The freedom of the world leaves us shackled to sin, but the freedom of God return, begins to return us to His original design, walking in step and in union with Him. And it's only through this allegiance and this unity that we can become who we are truly meant to be. He was delivered to death for our sins and he was raised to life for our justification. And as we live out this truth this week, my challenge for you is to share the peace that we have with others. Share the peace that we have in Christ with others. That we might uh, share with them the hope that we have found. That we no longer have to, uh, to, to be shackled by our, de- the decision, our decisions from the past. Our hurts, our hang-ups, our issues. We can bring them to him. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the lies that our world tries to get us to believe. And we're going to find that week after week in battle after battle, the only way we can find peace, the only way we can know peace is by living in fidelity with Jesus. So maybe today, maybe today you need to give your allegiance to Jesus to make him your savior. Maybe today you have questions about a decision, maybe questions about something that we talked about today. I'll be in the back. Mark will be in the back. David will be in the back as well. We'd love to talk with you about where you are in your journey of faith and how we can help you take your next step. Maybe you're at home and you're not able to be here. You can let us know by using the connection card. Maybe you're here and you need to uh, get on, but you need to let someone know about what's working in your heart today. Use the connection card. Fill that out. After you fill out your name, right below it says next steps. Check one of those boxes, whichever one best applies to where you are at today. Let someone know. Talk to someone who you know about what God might be doing in your life. He is risen. And because he died for our sins and rose again, we no longer live under the wrath of God. And we we get to live at peace with God and with the promise of new life, both here and in our eternal home with him. So let's go today and this week and boldly declare the good news and peace we have through Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. Uh, You would send your son to die in our place while we were your enemies, while we stood against you, while we were far from you, while we were without hope. You met us where we were sins, warts and all and provided a path to peace. It cost you the best you had. It costs you your own son. Father, I believe as we read through scripture, you'd tell us that you would do it any day of the week again for us because of your great love for us, because you, you demonstrated your love for us, that while we were still sinners, while we were still far from you, you sent Jesus to die in our place. And Father, you raised him again. that We might have victory over the grave that we might have the hope and promise of new life. That we have hope beyond this world, beyond these aches, these sufferings, and, and these hardships. That if we put our faith and trust in you, you will deliver us from sin and into the hope of the kingdom. And so, Father, I pray that we will learn to live at peace with you and to share that peace with others so they may know Jesus. Father, use us to bring that hope to the world. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're glad that you've been able to celebrate the resurrection with us. I pray that as we leave today, that we will live our life with the power of the resurrection flowing through our body, that we might share with others the good news and the hope that we have in Jesus. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.